didn't just spray it earlier. Gosh, no, it should have been sprayed two weeks ago. We simply cannot get the corn crop out of the field soon enough. Is it time to plant wheat? No, it's not time to plant wheat, dog. Got it. Lindsay buys a few sheep and suddenly she's got to know everything. Good day and welcome to Wheat Beats Word here on realagriculture.com for Wednesday, September the 7th on this episode of The Word. Yes, it's wheat time. We'll talk quickly about getting it right this planting season. Then we have corn. I cannot believe how many corn issues are starting to show up. How can that be with as dry as it was? But it is. Need to pay attention. Alfalfa management. Lots of harvest going on. Got to do that right. Pasture. What do we do on pastures? Cover crop management at the end. Some specific issues to address as well. Let's go. First off, crazy. How can it be 33 degrees and this humid on the 7th of September? That's unbelievable. Really drives home the point that a day in September is not equal to a day in October or a day in November from a wheat or an alfalfa standpoint. So remember that. And by the way, just sit back and enjoy this heat. Gosh, if it was January, you'd be paying $1,500 a person to get on a plane and fly south and soak up the sun. So enjoy this heat and dry weather. It's way better than six degrees Celsius and six inches of rain, that's for sure. And harvest has begun. Sugar beets, tomatoes, even grain corn harvest. So yes, we have the first grain corn off in the province in central Ontario, 130 bushels per acre at 32% moisture. Now, interestingly enough, the Farms.com Great Ontario Yield Assessment Tour went through and when they went through that central Ontario area they were mostly talking about 129 bushel per acre average really lines up with that 130 bushel yield that came out of that field provincially they came up with a yield of 149 bushels per acre on corn and 43 bushels per acre on soybeans talking with Greg Stewart about how they came up with those numbers boy really interesting it will depend so much much on kernel fill because if you assume there's 80,000 kernels in a bushel of corn or 95,000 kernels in a bushel of corn, it makes a huge difference on yield. Some areas, all sorts of moisture through August. Here at Ingersoll, I've had over seven inches of rainfall in August. The corn in this area should have awesome grain fill. Meanwhile, other areas still quite dry. A grower in Haldeman County telling me that the drought hasn't broken there yet. So this final yield will be 149 where it'll shake out. That's anybody's guess, but it is kind of an intriguing scenario to think about how that comes together. And just to prove that point, edible beans. Wow, some really huge differences going on there. 30 plus bags per acre in the good areas that had some moisture, have good soils, well under 10 bags per acre, just cruel low yields on the really light soils that got no rainfall whatsoever. Combines running for hours to get a bin full. It's just really tough. And on regrowth, we got this rain in some areas about the 30th of July was when the first dry weather broke in the really dry areas. Edible beans that were early planted in those super dry areas, they've had all sorts of regrowth. And by the way, the second crop is actually going to be way better than the first crop of edible beans in those fields. Some of the growers leaving those fields, waiting on those second pods. Yeah, they might go a little off quality on the few early pods that they have, but it's just simply such a better crop. In fact, Johnson's beans, his yellow beans in his garden, believe it or not, actually, it's in grandpa's garden but I kind of look after it we had almost no yellow beans the first 
crop, but we left them. They started to reflower with the rainfall, and guess what? The best picking of all year we had on Monday, kind of funny, and that's the way those edo beans are working as well. This regrowth, though, I can't believe how green some of the fields are that have gotten sprayed. So if there was a good crop there in the first place, and we got the moisture, and they started to regrow as edibles can, and some varieties definitely worse for it than others, boy, you go out there, you try to kill that regrowth and you need to do that but spraying some fields that really look like they should have been silage or hay it's it's a pretty interesting scenario from that all right just before i move on i want to talk about getting rid of old unwanted pesticides so the ontario clean farms program is running from september 20th to the 30th if you have any old pesticides around that you're not going to use that have been hanging around they're they're a, a, just an absolute problem what happens if if your grandkid or your son or daughter your dog your cat whatever gets into those it's just all bad so we have this opportunity to get them taken back to the dealership check with your supplier they'll know where to take it between the 20th and the 30th of September the Ontario Ministry of the Environment is having pickup days they're basically going to be at those locations on specific days you can bring in those old unwanted pesticides it's a good deal let's clean up those those pesticides storages and let's keep everything safe all right move on to the real crop and first off wheat so we're now past the reporting deadline for crop insurance and where are we at baby just under 97 bushels per acre oh it's not finalized yet there's still some yields to get reported in that they have to chase down but we are right playing with 97 bushel per acre provincial average that is absolutely awesome and for all you naysayers who say you can't make money out of wheat are you crazy just go out and look at some of the corn on corn stuff or look at the edible beans that aren't in a good rotation this soil quality impact and the benefit from better moisture holding capacity better soil structure higher organic matter i just can't believe people aren't growing wheat just from that alone anyway 97 bushel per acre that's pretty awesome Awesome. But on wheat planting dates, so yeah, way cool. Shane went out in the Niagara Peninsula, my technician, and we planted wheat on September the 1st. And all of a sudden, I start getting people emailing me and phoning me and saying, gosh, Peter, we're north of London, we're Stratford area, we're, is it time to plant wheat? No, it's not time to plant wheat, doggone it. Shane and I do weird, wild, and wonderful things. And that's all good because we learn from doing those things outside the box. But let's think about planting dates from a little bit of a realistic standpoint so brian up at cochran he planted wheat on august the 26th at cochran august the 26th probably a pretty good date by the way there's been enough heat and moisture up there that wheat looks unbelievable just awesome how that wheat looks ray at the north shore called in and said hey peter i beat you i started planting wheat on august the 30th i finished on september 1st i'm done planting my winter wheat crop perfect because on that north shore ontario is a big province i actually get questions as well from western canada in terms of planning depth and planning date it's all about where your geography is and trying to get that wheat crop to have five leaves and two tillers that's the optimum stage so as we move into the better dirt soil that we're not so worried about getting too wet so that we can't plant it north of london i really don't want you to start before the 15th of september south of london i really don't want you to start before the 20th of september and if you get up into that drayton area well that's probably the 10th of september or or dundalk and so you really have to play that that planting date game on the other hand if you're 
you're on heavy Niagara clay or Essex clay or Southlampton clay, where if it rains two inches, even though you've been dry all the way through, you could get locked out for three weeks or a month, then watch the weather. And gosh, if there's all of a sudden a big system coming through, looks like all sorts of moisture, Mother Nature's going to start the deluge, get out there and plant. And I don't care then if it is September 1st or September 3rd or September the 10th, even though that's too early, that's what you have to do on those soil types. Okay, finish quickly with just a couple of variety things. First off, in the Ontario Farmer article, didn't get mentioned Cruise or DS572 SRW. Both of those varieties should have been in there in terms of, wow, they look pretty interesting. They're new varieties. Put them in your test plot. And a caller called in and said, hey, what about Emperor? So Emperor's a decent soft red wheat. It's in the second tier and it's at the bottom edge of that second tier. It's kind of a 106 on that table 1A, which is the table that I really look at for yield stability. So it's an okay variety, but it's certainly not up there with some of that the tier 1 varieties, the R34s and the markers, those really, really good varieties in that top tier. Okay, enough already on wheat. Move on to corn. What is going on with this corn crop? Unbelievable. We have kernels sprouting in the ear on many fields that were in the really droughted areas. And it's not the kernels that filled, it's the kernels at the tip that pollinated but then aborted. Or sometimes you'll get a kernel that's partway down the cob that for some reason it didn't fill and those kernels are sprouting. That's a wow. So what's going on in that situation? Well, it's kind of intriguing, but what happens is that that kernel must have pollinated and in talking with Greg Stewart, it actually had to dry down. So now it's got no start in there. It's got no, no food reserves in the kernel, but a mature embryo. Meanwhile, the husks on these cobs are incredibly tight. They're just almost welded to the cob. When you open them up in the middle of the day, they're still soaking wet inside there. So that little embryo is re-wetting. It must have gotten really dry through the dry period so that it was totally mature. It's re-wetting. It's starting to grow. Quite an unusual circumstance. In fact, many people in the corn industry saying, wow, we've seen corn sprout before, but not like this. This is quite bizarre. A few concerns around that. The other thing in those cobs that we're starting to see, and this is a, oh my gosh, not really, but yes, on the end of the cob where the kernels didn't fill out or where we actually didn't even pollinate those kernels, we're seeing mold start to grow. Now, is it Fusarium or Gibberella? We don't know yet. It's white and that's a bad sign. It's not pink yet, but generally Fusarium starts off as that white mold growth, so we're worried about that. And you'd say, well, how could you get that? Well, the thought process as I talked through this with Greg Stewart, did some of those silks actually hang on longer because they didn't pollinate when we finally got moisture? There was a silk channel there, a cob that was not very able to defend itself, a silk channel there that was somewhat alive, and fusarium moved in there. We're not sure. We're not sure it's fusarium even, but white mycelium, that's an issue. And sprouted corn in the past, sprouted corn has meant fusarium. So just a few things. So the quote of the day absolutely goes to Ken Curra from Pride Seeds and Ken said we simply cannot get the corn crop out of the field soon enough so let's be ready to rumble as soon as we can get that stuff down into that 28% moisture range standability is a bit of a concern molds a bit of a concern we know we have lots of mold wherever western bean cutworm went into that ear I think we have to be prepared to get that crop out of the field as quickly as we can dry it down and stop 
any other bad things going wrong with this already gee wow great corn crop we've dealt with all right we want to talk briefly about blunt ear because i got some really good feedback about blunt ear one of the things i learned that i got sent to me was that blunt ear in corn the trigger temperature for that is nighttime temperatures of six degrees celsius and below so from a weather station just north of london guess what june 9th 3.3 degrees celsius june 10th 6.5 degrees celsius so yeah maybe Maybe we did have some of those temperatures as well. Blair from Pioneer saying that in the Saginaw Valley River Flats, they have lots of trouble with blunt ear in that area, but it's always related to high pH soils, so 7.7 pH and above, and high water table followed by drought. So certainly we had moisture early followed by the drought, and it looks like we may have had some temperatures. We're not going to pick hybrids based on blunt ear, but when you go through that pro thought process, wow, it is kind of interesting how that shakes out. All right, enough on corn, move on to alfalfa. And yes, there's all sorts of alfalfa coming out. Awesome fourth cut alfalfa or third cut depends on your system and just great quality because of all this dry weather. What do we do now? Because we are into the critical harvest period in much of the province. We're cutting at the very earliest part of it. So we're not at the highest possible risk, but surely if you're taking a last cut of hay, you've gotten it cut because it's the 7th of September. The worst possible time is kind of that 20th of September till 10th of October timeframe. I hope everyone everybody got done. How do we manage it now? First off, potash. Immediately feed that crop potash. So get it on there before it starts to regrow. We don't want to slow anything down. If you haven't added sulfur, I think you add sulfur as well. And if you need phosphorus, get your soil test done, some phosphorus. So let's fertilize that crop as well as we can. If you have to put manure out there, if you need to get rid of it, you don't have any wheat ground to put it on, then again, put it on immediately. But I really hate manure on this cut because we have all those little shoots starting to grow that manure is going to burn them back and slow that alfalfa down anything you do to slow it down is absolutely bad past that just stay out of the field and let's hope for a warmer open fall to let that crop get back into the flower bud stage and feed those roots so that we don't hurt next year's first cut. Lindsay, you asked if it's too late to plant pasture. You know the answer. Yes, it's too late, particularly in the Ottawa Valley. My gosh, Lindsay buys a few sheep and suddenly she's got to know everything. So Lindsay, get set up for next spring. We're going to seed that pasture next spring. So get the field leveled off. Get your soil test done. Make sure you've got Got good phosphorus, good potash levels. And by the way, if you're broadcasting phosphorus in the fall, that's not a good thing. So make sure you work it in if you're going to do that. It's a bit of a catch-22 there, but leveled off so that all you have to do in the spring, if you're a conventional tillage person, is just touch it very lightly. Or maybe you can even go in and just no-till into a stale seed bed because the earlier you get that pasture seeded in the spring, the better. All right, move on to cover crops. And so some oats in head already. Wow, they might make grain. And that's very cool. I talked to one producer who actually has oats in head. He's saying they might be my cover crop oats for next year. I think that's all good. A caller asking about do oats. My oats are in flag leaf stage just coming into head. Do they double their height like wheat? And the answer is yes. From full flag to fully headed they should basically double their height. If they're already starting to head out they aren't going to quite double their height from this particular stage but they're like wheat in that scenario. Another caller saying okay Peter I have oats that are knee high. They're in flag leaf. They're looking great. I'm 
going to cut them for forage in three weeks. I've got velvet leaf lambs quarters as high as the forage, not higher. I've got dandelion out there. Is it worth spraying that crop? And all I can say is, why didn't you spray it earlier? Gosh, no, it should have been sprayed two weeks ago. Do you spray it now? I hate letting those weeds go to seed. See where they're at. If they're going to make seed before you forage it, I think you should spray them. You got to watch that pre-harvest interval. But gosh, I do not want them to make seed and it shells out in your forage harvesting process. That's just a catch-22. Should have been sprayed earlier. Okay, just time enough for one more quick question. A caller with round bale silage. The crows are just pecking through the plastic like crazy. Of course, as soon as they do that, it molds on the inside. He's asking, what can I do about that? Is there anything I can do to stop those crows? I don't have a good answer. Yes, you could get bird netting. You'd have to hold it up on a frame to keep it off the plastic, keep the crows away. I think that's a lot of work. If anybody has any good ideas how to stop birds pecking through that plastic, we would love to know. Hey, next week is the Outdoor Farm Show. Hope to see you there. I'll be, mornings I'll be spending in the CNM area. Afternoons I'll be spending a lot of time in the Pride Tent area or wandering around the farm. And hey, we'll be actually doing the word live from the Pride Tent either Tuesday or Thursday, depending on how that works out. So if you get a chance, drop by, stop, talk to us. All right, that's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, September the 7th. Leave us a question. Leave us a message. Challenge me. That's what life is all about. I love it. We'll see you next week. Bye now.